your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap because you're an american express platinum guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through amex travel which means a 4 p.m checkout and those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hello. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I am here with my co-hosts. They are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hello. Greetings, Max. Who was the guest on the show this week? This week, I talked to Willa Paskin. You guys know Willa Paskin? I do. She, uh, for a long time, was the TV critic at Slate. Before that, she was the TV critic at Salon. Before that, she was an editor and writer at Vulture. But now, and for the last several years, she has been the host of a podcast called Decoder Ring from Slate. Decoder Ring, every episode is a deep dive into some cultural mystery that Willa is trying to unlock. The range of topics on the show is like almost infinite. It's everything from like hydration to Salino and Barnes to what impact did Sideways actually have on the wine industry to all kinds of things. I love the show. I've been listening to it for a long time, and uh, it was a real pleasure to talk to her both about how she makes the thing. She's actually working on the next season now. It comes out April 12th, but also how she thinks about TV now, which has changed a lot, and how those two things talk to each other, and how doing Dakota Ring is a lot like criticism, which was not a thing that I would have thought before I talked to her. I kind of stopped. Uh, everything you said after Salino and Barnes was competing in my brain with Salino and Barnes. Injury, injury attorneys. One hundred eight 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 eight. I want to clarify something from last week's introduction because we got some reader mail about this. I don't actually feel like I wasted the last decade of my life on this show. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the first correction in the history of the show. <laughs> you said it with such I, passion, I think. I have nothing but gratitude for my time as the host of, of the show. And uh, I was uh, I was simply making jokes, as is my role in the introductions to this program, which is produced in partnership with Vox Media, thanks to everyone over at Vox. And now here's Max with Willa Paskin. I love you guys. Hi, Willa. Hi, Max. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm really, I'm really so happy to be here, genuinely. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really so happy, genuinely, for you to be here. I feel like it's a uh, long time coming. Here is a thing that I'm excited about. So oftentimes, people come on the show, right? And the first question is like, how'd you get started writing? You are the rare guest who has written an article entitled, Why I Became a TV Critic. Oh my God, did I? Like, Max, I don't know the article. I'm sure I know what it says, I think, but I don't, I don't know it. Well, I think this should be a test because I know what it says because I just read it. You wrote it in 2016. Okay. So let's go back in time. Okay. What did 2016 Willa Paskin think was the reason she became a TV critic? I think it's because I wanted to know why people care about the things that they care about. And also because I watched so much TV when I was a kid. 
Was this like around Donald Trump time? Like what was the occasion of this piece? Donald Trump was not yet president. It was January 2016. But I must tell you, that was not the reason why 2016 Willa became a TV critic. Oh, this is the thing. I just found it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Googling allowed in this exam. I'm sorry. You you came prepared. I'm like bringing my class materials uh, to the test. Um, oh, yeah. No, this is all about anthropology and everything, right? Is that what it's about? It, it, it's a classic Willa construction. Now I've spent a lot of time in the last like week. I've read a lot of pieces. I've listened to a lot of Dakota Ring. There is a kind of classic Willa construction, which is we start with young Willa and her interest in anthropology, but it lands in a different place and with a relatively clear conclusion. And in this case, your answer to why you became a TV critic was timing. Really? I kind of think that. <laughs> You know what's so funny, actually? I like, firstly, I'm very flattered that you just said there was like a willow for I really like talking to people because they say things to you that you would never think yourself. Like, this is the joy of talking to people. This is why it's so fun to interview people. And I just like that was that was nice to hear. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say with any piece of writing or podcast or anything like there is um some artifice because you're making a structure. So it's possible that that piece about why I became a TV critic is like a little cleaner and more argumented than the reality. Uh, but I do think timing did actually have a lot to do with why I became a TV critic, as did my interest in anthropology. Both of those <laughs> things are part of the story. Well, now there's so many places we could go. I'm very interested in the gap between the polished idea and the real thing. I'm Pretty interested in your childhood obsession with anthropology, but I think for the purpose of the long-form podcast, it might be helpful to go back even further in time to when you were just out of school and starting to think about television and why timing is the answer for why, at least for a little while, you became a TV critic. Sure. So I think it's important to know that like, I grew up not watching a ton of TV. It was kind of like the thing that made my mom totally insane. Um, and as, I feel like that's the real answer. <laughs> oh, no, like that—that that is. I was like that, and I like thought it was like naughty. I think that's like the Freudian true answer. Um, but uh, so, right. So I watched a lot of TV, and I was really interested in it. Like, I really just liked it. And it was a lot of um, like boilerplate sort of teen shows, like 90210 and everything on the WB. Uh, but I watched a lot of other stuff. And I went to college... And it was at this time when this project that now is, like, so pedestrian and that was not really new then but was sort of just, like, actually getting really popular of just being like, we're coming for the highbrow. Like, what is this highbrow? There's no difference. Like, we are going to spend so much time thinking about pop culture and as seriously as anyone ever thought about the high arts, like, we're coming. Like, it's... It's topsy-turvy. And I mean, I was like, people had already been doing that. It's like a Gen X project. I'm right on the cusp, like, but it felt like, especially in television, it felt really new, right? Like um, Television Without Pity, which was like this early recapping site where people would write these like honestly 20,000 words full of uh, nicknames for every single character about every episode. <laughs> but it was like, they were all geniuses. Like it just, uh, it was really like, it just felt like it was happening. Like Buffy was on, The Sopranos had just started, but it wasn't, you know, it was like still very like in that, um, is TV the new novel? Like, and that was like a novel thing to say kind of moment instead of like a just roll your eyes and 
go to sleep kind of thing. And so there was just like all this energy around it. And I, I can't, I just was like, I want to be a TV critic. Like I want to do what Pauline Kael did for movies about television. I was just very interested as, and I don't think this is unique to me, in like trash culture. Like I was interested in TV and some of it wasn't good and I knew that, but I loved it. I was like interested in tabloids. I mean, there again, that was, there was no way that I was unique in that. Like there was a lot of people like spending a lot of time thinking about Us Weekly and sort of trying to take guilty pleasures back by overthinking about them kind of. And I think what I got lucky about and what is true about the timing is that I really thought, and I was really interested in this question which was related to sort of anthropology, which is like, why do people care about the things they care about? And I was like, I'm interested in that question, and it doesn't matter to me if the product is good or not. It doesn't matter if the TV show is good. We can think interesting things, even about something that's bad or mediocre or just popular. But what I think like timing really helped me luck out is it it's actually, it's more fun to think about things that are good. Like it is actually more nourishing. And this is like a, we can get into this because this sort of pertains to why I think um, in some ways I became less interested in being a TV critic. Uh, but I did like luck into this moment where TV just got better. It did. And so there was a lot of things to think about that were popular and that were interesting and that people cared about a ton, but that like also were kind of felt like worth thinking about. Um, not just because they were like, weird cultural objects or like bad cultural objects that people loved anyway. And I think that was really sustaining, basically. Um, I think that's sort of like how I stayed interested in it for as long as I did. Can you stay in the time machine with me for a second? Yeah. And just try and think about how your like critical eye developed. How did the way that you watch, how did the way that you thought about shows and about the medium, how did that refine you know, I thought a little bit about this thinking about talking to you because I don't actually know that I have a good answer because I think some of this is like probably this is my personality <laughs> like <laughs> in the sense of like like I think like I was basically thinking about it in the context of more like I make a podcast now where like I kind of try to explain things. And I think that there's a way that like explaining things seems like even I want to roll my eyes. I'm just like, oh, my God, another person trying to explain things. And then I'm like, oh, but I just like think that's who I am. You know, like I think I just was kind of always like not trying to explain things, but like wanting to understand them and like communicate a way of thinking about them and explain them like that I'm just like kind of a criticky person uh, <laughs> and I maybe always have been I don't like I don't remember some like moment where it clicked in like I just think my brain does a little bit work this way like isn't it so weird that I was like 19 and I was like I really want to be a tv critic like I did I can't explain that to you but it is true I think what I'm interested in is wanting to be a TV critic at 19 and actually pulling it off. That seems hard. Um, I know. It makes me, I honestly, I'm like self-conscious. I'm like, I should have wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. Like, what could I have willed into the world? Like, a little bigger. Think a little bigger. Well, well part of the, the reason I, I started with that piece you wrote in 2016 is because the sort of thesis of it is that if there hadn't been this kind of highbrow TV wave... Maybe you would have just like wanted to be a TV critic for a couple months after college and then and gone and done something else. Yeah, I think that 
I mean, the thing that did happen after college is I wasn't a TV critic right away. Like, I, I'm from New York. I went back to New York, and I, like, waitressed and interned at a bunch of places, including at Us Weekly. And then I ended up at Vulture um, after, like, a bunch of stops. And, like, I think if TV had been boring by then, I just, like, would have been a culture writer. I would have been a culture critic, or I would have been an editor. Like, I think I would have... I By that point, I was, like, had... I was in the world enough that I would have just... I might have been a generalist. I I might have just been an editor. But I, I, the, the fact that I had this, like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. And by that point, it would, had, like, been going on long enough that it ended up sort of being determinative. Do you have fond memories of your time at Us Weekly? No, I don't. But, like, that is itself a fond memory. Like, I do. Like, um, so as I said, like, low trash culture really interested. Um, and I, like, loved reading tabloids. And I was like, I knew enough to be like, it's kind of embarrassing, but I also knew enough to be like, you're lame if you think this is embarrassing. Like, get with it, everybody. Um, and so I went. It was when it was it was owned by Jan Wenner. It was in the same office as Rolling Stone on 6th Avenue in the 50s. And um, it was hellacious because we basically um, just transcribed four-hour interviews with Bachelor contestants. Like, I'm kind... Like, they were doing things, but, like, that's, like, was a big part of the job was, like, just... They would... Like, they were just trying to get anything good and interesting, and these they were really... The staff there was, like, doing a... Working super hard and, like, a ton of reporting. But the job for me was, like, a, literally transcribing, like, four-hour interviews with, like, the sixth guy to get kicked off The Bachelor. And um, we would go to Times Square and, like, have to ask people, do, like, the like who wore it best surveys. And I would ask like 10 people and it was just so mortified that then I would like go to the mid Manhattan library and like read like new journalism as like to, <laughs> to like insulate myself and then just extrapolate out the answers. But it was like, I mean, there were things that were super fascinating about it. I mean, I, I learned like they, how they fact, like they really fact check a lot of things uh, in a way. So it was like, I mean, there's language things, but it's like if they said something happened, like it probably happened. You know, if they said like alleged or like as told, you know, they had ways of sort of making it seem like it happened. But if they were like going to be like, this happened, like they checked it. Um, and they really worked so hard. And there was obviously so much stuff I didn't know anything about, like tip lines or whatever. But I was just like kind of I just like I just basically honestly like had this experience, not for the last time where I was like, oh, there is a lowbrow that's too low for me and like I have encountered it. And like that's not necessarily like I, that's a snobby thing to say, but I was like it was good to like have that. I think it uh-huh. I think it was like clarifying, you know? I was like, okay. I mean, I you know, I was also like a shy, quiet um uncomfortable. Like I just it wasn't like a great fit, but I don't, you know, and they were really they were really busy. Like it was Janice Min times. Like they were working. They were there all the time. Like you'd walk in there would be um the floor would be like papered with printouts from Getty of all like the red carpet stuff. You know, like they just it they were just very busy. Like it was um in a serious way. And I was I was just like, "Oh, I this is not what I like this is working too hard on this for me. Like this is not the huh. material that I like want to be." Not that like they were like, "Oh, have a job." Do you know what I mean? Like there was no uh, I was I didn't impress anyone there. <laughs> it wasn't like you were like this kind of grinding is anathema to me. You were like grinding this hard on this material is not something I want to do. Yes. And actually, I mean, I've worked at magazines where we grind to that hard and it was really fun I mean it was hard but it was super fun too so it's not it wasn't that part like the collective working hard when you're inside a magazine is so intoxicating you know um 
even though you're also like, this is horrible and dysfunctional. <laughs> I never see the sun. But, like, it's fun. You know, it's fun to make things with people. Is that the uh, New York Magazine time of your life? No, it was actually Radar. Radar? Yeah. So Radar was, like, my first job. So so before Radar became a tabloid owned by the National Enquirer or whatever it's owned by. Um, yeah, so what happened? So I finished college. I interned at a bunch of places. And then I ended up working at Variety as like a, an assistant. Like a, I compiled like the uh, theater box office numbers and I went to a ton of red carpet premieres, which was actually really awesome experience, not just because it was parties, but I just had to learn how to go to a party by myself. There's some of these things that are so mortifying. Like, Did you, have to, to... Did you ever have to do like um, red carpet reporting? Yes, that's what I was doing. You just stand on the red carpet and you talk to people. I think that's the worst thing I ever did as a nominal journalist. Who did you I, do it for? Who did I don't do even remember. I, I did it one time. It was like, I can never do that again. Yeah. I mean, it's very, yeah, totally. hundred. It was it was good because what I needed to get was like very, it didn't have to, like, I didn't have to ask anyone embarrassing questions and, and they knew it was variety. So they weren't like that mad at me. Um, and I really did find it very interesting. Like that is, that was pretty interesting to me. And then also we, we would go to the parties afterwards, which were like, this was been in the mid 2000s. So there was still, people still had money. So like it was, they were just so swanky, which was fun in of itself. And then also you just to learn how to like be at a party where you don't know anybody. Um, and obviously like sometimes you pretend to talk on your phone because it's like so uncomfortable. You just like have to fake conversation. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like just, I would do that. But but then you start to know people and you figure out how to do it. And you, and I, I mean, I'm never going to be a person who's really good at just like cold approaching someone, but like it was really good experience in just reporting, but also just like being in a space where you're just like, what? Okay, I just have to make the best of this. I have to figure out how to spend 45 minutes here. Um, and it can't just be eating egg rolls, you know? We're jumping all over the place, but do you have any tips for people who find themselves alone at an uncomfortable and or swanky party of what to do aside from talk to yourself on the phone? I mean, you're just like supposed to go talk to someone. You just have to like go make conversation with anyone that you see. You basically like you start making small talk like over the buffet table and like some people will like literally run away from you. Do you know what I mean? Because they just, there's other people are anxious, you know, they won't do it. And then other people will chat with you. And the thing that starts to happen at those is mostly that I just would end up talking to other journalists because they're the people that you recognize. Um, and and that was fun, you know. Um, and like there was this one time, I think it was like, it was the Fantastic Four premiere and it was on Liberty Island, like with the Statue of Liberty. And I don't remember. I think it rained. Basically, we all like the journalists, we all like got stuck for hours getting there <laughs> and then on Liberty Island. And it was like a one night and I made like the fastest friends with these three other journalists. And we had like baby journalists and we had like the best time. It was honestly like the beginning of a TV show. Where we're like, and then they're friends forever. I mean, we literally don't ever speak. We never spoke again. We like met once. But it was just like the. It was. It's just like stuff like that. It's like it's barely about them. It was really. It was really fun and interesting. But it, given that we're in the chronology, what happened is basically if I had known enough, if I had known more people or understood. I probably could have parlayed that into a job because Variety was like, oh, like that's a daily paper. Like it was sort of people were like impressed with it enough, but I didn't know anything or anyone. So I went to journalism school. <laughs> you went to journalism school then? Yeah. So I went to journalism school about like two years after college. I went specifically to NYU's cultural reporting and criticism program because I wanted to be a TV critic. Right. And um, and I was there for a year and a half. I met my husband. So like I can't complain. And and that is how I ended up 
at Radar because someone who, an, a student who'd also been there ended up at Radar and I started writing capsule reviews um, for them and it ended up turning into a job. And and that was my first like grown up job. And that was like a full print magazine. And I had the whole print magazine experience, which was really awesome. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Aside from meeting your husband, what are your feelings now about J-School? Um, I think it's very in life, right? Like one thing leads to another, right? So like you live your life and this thing led to that thing and led to that thing. And journalism school is one of those things. Like it led to a lot of things. It led to that job at rate. I mean, there's many things in my life that trace back to that. Um, so it's hard to be like, I wouldn't do it. Um, I think the other thing is that I didn't have to pay for it. Like I got a full ride so um which like is a I feel embarrassed to say because like it feels am I bragging maybe I'm bragging but mostly I'm saying like a lot of the like the calculus the calculations of journalism school were not like present in my circumstance so um it doesn't I'm not like like the problem is that it's not a trade school like being a lawyer or a doctor you don't have to go to journalism school to be a journalist and so it just cannot give you those things it cannot give you the thing like it's just so much fuzzier than that and i think that that's a real recipe for leaving people unsatisfied sometimes but it also like did i met a bunch of people you know um and it didn't meeting those people didn't feel like the way i thought it would like connections didn't feel like how i thought they would feel i think i thought they would feel concrete or like I really know that person I can call them I mean I think they feel like that now but at the time they really really didn't it was like I no, I have no like this isn't helping at all but it of course it did you know it's like you even if it's just the kids you're in school with which actually is exactly the people that ended up being important I do think you're bragging but it's you think uh, you're bra- okay then cut it out that was don't a joke. That was a editor. joke. I'm just kidding. I'm just giving you. I'm just giving you shit. I don't think you're bragging like, at all. Like you, see, like you, you just really like you're like okay. I was bragging. Take it out. No, 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 no. no we're, a, we're leaving that in, and we're leaving <laughs> this in. But B, uh, I was just genuinely giving you shit because the thing I was going to actually say is that completely changes every equation about J school. The whole thing is is the money that you have to pay to get that experience, which maybe you need or maybe you don't need. Is that worth it? essentially when part of the value is those connections. But if you don't have to pay for it, then it's all pretty valuable. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so yes. I mean, I don't, like, I just, I think the thing about J-School is, it's like, if you don't know how to proceed, like, it's a great way to proceed, you know? Can you talk a little bit more about the gap between how those connections felt at the time and what a real connection feels like? Do you know what I, you, you do know what I mean? Like, so I just feel like it's also like, um, you know, like people have mentors, like they're like, I have a mentor, like even in college. And I just be like, what? Like you have a grown up that you like talk to that's a prof- like I just didn't have that. I just couldn't. I mean, I didn't ever try to cultivate it. I just like didn't. It's, I didn't 
not was not like in my toolkit of things that I could do or knew how to do particularly. Um, and there was a way that like J school sort of felt and not just J school, like all this stuff sort of feels similar. It's like, what does it mean to have a connect? I think, I think I thought having a connection was like really tangible. It was like, this person's going to do this thing for me. And that's not at all what that is. Right now, like 20 years later, I'm like, oh, right. Connections are like just literally like having the person's correct email format. Do you know what I mean? Like in a way or like someone else to ask for their email. Like I just I think I just have a different idea of what they are. Um, But I really I remember in journalism school being like, this is not connections. And then in hindsight, it's like, oh, maybe maybe it was the beginning of them. And actually, this is the other thing about J school. It's related to this is that. Obviously, like journalism and especially a certain kind of reporting, like really rewards people or not rewards people. It seems suited to people who don't need like that kind of reassurance, who are just like, it's cool. I'm going to like, you know, newspaper got like reporters used to be like they didn't go to J school. They like were 17 years old and they were like, I'm going to go string for like whatever. Like I'm going to go knock on every door. And so you're like, so there's a way that just like being like, yes, I need someone to tell me what to do in this field where, like, the whole thing is you have to make it up, like, can feel sort of, like, it sort of feels, like, self-conscious or just, like, even at odds with, like, the thing you're going to do next. But I just think not everybody is comfortable right away just being like, I'm going to make it up, you know? Like, some people want to know how to proceed (laughs) or just have, like, some help proceeding or some just, like, framework. Some guidelines somewhere. Someone. Yeah, totally. Just think something to even just like, you know, it's like, right, just like a first draft to play around with. All right, let's move ahead. You ready to move ahead? I'm ready. When is the point when you decided the thing that I want to be doing is writing full time, not editing, not jumping in in different ways in a magazine? When when did like um, I'm going to be a TV critic? That is what my focus is going to be. When did that happen? So Radar Folded, I went and worked a bunch of places. It was actually great. I worked at Slate. I worked at this place called Black Book, which was less great, but was really instructive in a bunch of ways. And I ended up at Vulture. Um, And I was hired as a blogger, like a full-time main blogger. I was writing eight posts a day. And I really loved it. Like, I loved Vulture. Like, I loved the people. I loved the voice. Like, I really, it was like a great home. I had a great time. And I was there um, uh, long enough that I, like, I ended up not, like, I I got promoted to sort of, like, being, like, deputy at, like, it was more high up at the site. Um, Was still writing a bunch, but I was, like, you know, not writing eight posts a day. Um, And then there was just, like, basically a game of TV critic musical chairs, which is that Emily Nussbaum, who had been the TV critic at New York, went to the New Yorker, and Matt Solarsites, who'd been the TV critic at Salon, went to New York and Salon, where I had actually interned, um, needed a TV critic. And I had, as we know, like, wanted to be a TV critic since I was 19 years old. And I had written, you know, I'd been writing a bunch of TV criticism for Vulture. I'd been writing other things, too, but, like, I had definitely been writing TV criticism. Um... And so I went after that job and I got offered that job. And I, you know, I was like, I've been wanting to be a TV critic for a long time. I guess I'm going to go do this. I mean, the thing is that I have observed is that as you get older, like um, job offers get more and more painful because I think things start to be 
Like, if you hate your job, it's one thing. But, like, if you kind of like your job, um, it's like the tyranny of small differences or something. Like, you're just like, oh, this – it. You just like you just can feel you're like, I don't want to leave this and this and this like this is so scary. And this other thing's not offering me anything that different. And it starts to get more and more torturous. And I was pretty tortured by that mo- that change because I just really liked New York. But it was probably like the last one I was like, I should just I know the answer. I should try to do this. I've been wanting to do this. So I did. And so I went to salon. What does going after a job look like? Oh, I mean, uh, what did I? Well, I mean, I, I applied for the job at New York and I didn't get it. Like I, I did a bunch of pieces for them, which ended up actually being good pieces that were helpful to me in other ways. Um, and then, yeah, I think I emailed the then editor in chief of Salon, whose email, of course, I had because I had been an intern and he knew who I was <laughs> and uh, like talking about connections. And I probably went in for a couple interviews, but it was not. Um, yeah, I think they were like, yeah, we know who you are. You Let's, let's work it out. <laughs> yeah. And then you were there for a while and moved to Slate? I was there for about a year or so. And in that time, Dan Coyce at Slate um, had me come down to South by Southwest for a Slate panel with um, about like the future of TV, which actually was really interesting because we we was a panel with this guy who had a app that was like um, sort of like a second screen app. It was like before it was obvious that Twitter was going to do all that and there didn't need to be a second screen app. But he was really, this conversation is very memorable because we sort of gotten a little back and forth where he was like, no, if it's popular, it is good. And I was like, no, it's just popular. Like it was just like a real <laughs> like, um, and I think Dan was like really chuffed by that basically. Uh, so, so um they eventually were like also sort of looking for a TV critic because I think there was just like people moving around. Um, and so like they got in touch with me about that. And I was like, yeah, I would love to come work at Slate. And when was that? What year are we talking about? Honestly, I think it was 10 years ago. Wow. I know. It's crazy. God, we're so old. <laughs> also just like I feel like it's a long time to be somewhere in our business now. Yeah, it is a long time. Do you think that uh, 10 years ago Willow would have expected she'd still be there? I don't, I don't know. Like, I definitely, I, I definitely didn't think about that. I mean, I think maybe. Like, that's the thing also, Max, about <laughs> having been like, I really want to be a TV critic, is that then, like, that happened, and then you're like, oh, well, I don't have, like, what's the, I, like, it's not that I don't have other things I want to do, but it was very, like, nebulous, you know what I'm saying? What do you do after you do the thing you wanted to do is a pretty big question. I guess you make a podcast. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And and I, I can't believe we've gotten this far without talking about the podcast, but I got one more beat on the TV critic era before we moved to Dakota Ring, which is basically like you did the thing. You got the job. You got the job like multiple times, in fact. Mm-hmm. That wave basically from when you started to want to write about TV to – 2016, 2020, the amount of good television, ambitious television that was on the air was going up and up and up and up and up that whole time. But at some point, your relationship to it changed. And I'm, I'm interested in what that change was and then how podcasting fit in. Yeah. I mean, just totally truthfully, like this, I could talk about this a really long time because I am still like sorting it out in my mind and I like I think basically I'm supposed to write a really big piece about this like even just for myself so every time I talk about it I'm like am I getting closer to like writing this 
essay. I basically feel like a TV apostate now. Like, I kind of hate it. Hmm. Um, And that's, like, overstating it, but not completely. I mean, there's a lot to say. I, I mean, one of the things is just, like, listen, writing about anything, any art form, over and over and over again is, like, God bless the people that are really, really still interested in it. I'm I'm actually in awe of them. I think TV specifically, like, particularly does not lend itself to that for a number of reasons. One, like, it's not, like... You know, Peter Sheldahl, you're like, oh, my God, every time you wrote a piece, like, you knew so much. But also you had to go, like, learn about the 1400s or the 800s or, like, 1930s. (laughs) And, like, these people are all genius. Like, there's so much, like, art history is so rich. It's so long. Like, every time you're, like, dropping into things that are, like, so vibrant and fascinating. And TV's history is much shorter than that. Additionally... TV itself is really long. Let's say you're a movie critic. You want to watch something. It's going to take three hours of your life at most, and it will be finished. And you can have a whole thought about that whole thing. And television is really long. It's just really long. And the the structural things that were happening with TV, sort of the invention of streaming, basically meant that suddenly TV critics were getting, we were getting all of it. Like, we used to get, like, a network show, you'd get like an hour of the, f- you'd get the first two episodes, maybe. Do you know what I mean? And you'd review that, which is insane. Like, that's an insane thing to do. But it would take two hours. Now you get 10 hours. Like, you get the <laughs> whole thing. Like, you feel, resp- you're like, well, I guess I have to watch the whole thing. Or maybe you don't. But you're just like, oh, my God. Then that's, and and so before I had children, watching TV in the middle of the day for four hours or whatever the day I had to watch the House of House of Cards. Like, I was like, that was fun. Like, uh, what? Who cares? Like, I just watch TV for six hours in the middle of the day. Like, I don't have time to watch TV six hours <laughs> right. in the middle of the day. And I don't, and it doesn't feel good to me. It feels gross. So, like, I think that that was just, I think actually, like, basically what I'm saying is the peak TV, the moreness got a little bit relentless. Yeah. And also, in any medium, most things are not that good or they're fine. And you just, if you have to watch a lot of stuff, not just like a regular person, right? So not just what you're interested in, you end up having to watch a lot of stuff you're not that interested in. And as a critic, your job is to think interesting things about those things you're not that interested in. And for a long time, having to do that made them interesting. But it's sort of stopped for a lot of stuff like if if there was something was really good or new I could do it but I was like oh I've actually seen like a hundred of these you know what I mean like I really know what's happening here and I've like written about this a lot um and the thing that started to happen was like I could tell I was getting bitter about it and Uh snarky and that's not the right place to be coming from you know like especially now it's like people want you to be insightful and incisive but I think they also like they actually, you know, people read reviews of things they like, of things they're interested in. And um, to just like be coming from just a really negative place or like not even I don't think it, I don't think it always bled into my writing at all, actually. But I just like think I could tell where I was like, I'm coming from the wrong place. You knew it. Yeah, I knew it. It was also just like it's a lonely thing. You know what I mean? This is the thing about writing. It's like you're just with your brain and that can be really fun. And then when it stops being fun, you're just with your brain, right? So it was like, <laughs> right. um, yeah, so it just was like, oh, like I'm just spending a lot of time alone watching TV and like writing about it. I'm done with that. Do you think there was any aspect, aside from not being able to escape your own brain, 
that had to do with the project that had felt exciting at the beginning being complete. Like, I feel like there's this energy when you were talking about when you got into it that you were like part of a thing that was making the case for this. And then like the jury ruled TV's legit. Everyone agrees. Do you think that had any aspect of it? A hundred percent. I I feel like we were like, we've got to take TV seriously. It's art. It can be all those things, which I believe. And then like, kind of like we're gilding the lily now. Like I just, like TV is the most popular, powerful medium that had ever existed before the internet. Like it, it's like, it's just not an underdog. Like the only right, place it was an right. underdog was like, as like, should we take it seriously as art? And so we were like, no, we have to take it seriously as art. And then like, I just feel like it, there was like a de-emphasis on its deep overdogness, which, um, and so now we're in the situation where like, oh, we it's it gets it gets to have it all. Like we take it really seriously, even though a lot of it is shitty, and even though like it is a huge like Fox News is a literal, real, like honest to God, actual disaster, and it gave us <laughs> Trump, and like just just like it not. Like, just dealing with the art product, like, kind of short sells. Like, like I think it's, like, a little bit um, myopic about, like, what TV is. Uh, and then also I just think, like, there was, like, a lot of structural forces that made um, this period that's just passed interesting about television. But I think a lot of them might have been blippy. I think we think of TV as, as everything. We, th- we tend to think in terms of things as progressing, as making progress. And I think like the history of television tells us like people will basically watch what's on. Um, and it it's great if it's good, but like people, people can get really into Twin Peaks, like it's happy, you know, but that a lot of people just watch what's on. And um, there was this moment where it was like, oh, everyone's really excited about things that are good. They're excited about The Sopranos. They're excited about Orange is the New Black. They're talking about girls. I mean, you know what, like pick your show. And it's like, oh, I think weirdly Netflix is just like, oh no, people will just watch what's on. <laughs> and like, that's, that's I, I, like, that doesn't mean that Critics shouldn't be like, here's what's actually good and not. But it's a little bit, it was like a little distorting. And I still watch some TV shows, you know? Um, and I'm sure I will. And it's real. I like like picking them now. <laughs> like when I, It's something I want to watch. Uh, but like we are still in like a, we're not seeing each other that much right now phase, you know? We're a little done. Are you able to turn your brain off when you're watching TV? Yes and no. Like I think, yes, basically. But like, does that mean that if I didn't turn my brain on, like two minutes after I turned it off, I couldn't figure out what to write about it. Like, yes, of course I could do that. Those muscles don't go away. I just think it was always a part of how I was watching everything always. Like watching something and be like, oh, you have to say something about it is not like that. That part is kind of like comes naturally. I mean, not that I don't have like not that it doesn't have to be refined a huge amount and it's like garbage or just like a place to start. Like it comes pretty naturally. Okay, can we talk about Dakota Ring? Yeah, totally. It's connected, so let's do it. I can't believe how long it has taken for me to get to the show because I uh, I'm a I'm a big fan. I have a lot of questions about how you make this thing. Can you give the like very short description of what Dakota Ring is? Yeah, it's a show about cracking cultural mysteries where the mysteries are extremely largely construed. So it's just <laughs> like, um, so listen, the job of a critic is to take an object and to say, be like, say something interesting about it. Like, that's what a critic's job is. And I think that is actually also like Dakota Ring's job. It's like, take something, say something interesting about it, but make an argument, like make an argument 
and tr- say something, some, try and say something they haven't heard before about this thing. Um, and we do organize it like around a question. Like every episode is like, what happened to the laugh track? Why don't we eat blue food? Like, or they can be really specific, you know, like they aren't always questions you've always been wondering about. <laughs> Basically, they can we sort of we sort of, we sort of retrofit them to like the actual topic at hand. Um, but they are organized around a question, so I think it often it like can feel like we're on a hunt, like we're solving a mystery more than um, it. It sometimes feels like when we're actually making them. How do you pick those topics? How do you find the either real mysteries that you want to solve or the questions that you have a thought about and want to back into? I think this is a little bit of like the um, the show's like special sauce slash like Achilles heel, which is that there isn't I don't know is like the the simple way to answer that question. And the well, I the actually more- appreciate that answer because that's kind of one of my favorite things about it is like it just feels like it could be anything. No, that's what I mean when I say I think it's a special sauce. Like I think it's like. You're like, oh, I didn't know that could be a decoder ring. And then we say, it's a decoder ring. And you're like, oh, totally. Like, I want people to have that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's like uh, Salino and Barnes and hydration. You're like, sure, great, great. I didn't know it was going to be either of those things. Uh, And yeah, like, and I think that makes it hard. So, like, we've we've done a couple episodes now that are actually about, like, 80s kid stuff. We did an episode about Chuck E. Cheese and, like, sort of the pizza wars. We've done an episode about the Cabbage Patch Kids. And and so people will send emails being like, do something about pogs, you know, like, and I get it. Like, that seems like something we should do or Beanie Babies. But I'm like, no, no, we can't do it because, like, we've already done too much of that. So it has to be it's not just even the topic. It's like the idea that I want to like I want it to be about has to be a new one, even if there's some overlap on topic. But, yeah, it's like some combination of like. It I kind of want it to feel like um like a trap door, you know, like when you squish on a trap door, there's like a little spring. It's like if you, if you, if it's the right idea, like you start to look into it and you're like, oh, there's like, there's something like it's given, it's given a little, like I can't just, I don't know the answer for some, from looking at Wikipedia. And also there seems like interesting possibilities. And I have like some questions, you know? How does that work from a process standpoint? Like, do you have a thousand ideas that you're pressing on all the time? How often do you guys kill episodes? Like how, how does it work? Uh, we don't. So th- so process-wise, per episode, the process is actually very organic in a way that I think um, can be confounding. So this is how it's connected to being a critic is like the thing about being a critic is, right, you're supposed to say something interesting about whatever, any subject. And then also like you find out a lot of the time what you think and what's really interesting and you refine it by writing. And I think that there is a huge amount of that that is part of the process of making an episode of Decodering. Like I pick a topic. We're working on an episode about the tooth fairy right now. Okay. Like um, I start to, I think there's something there. Like there's a good que- there we have a real question about the tooth fairy. Um and you start to push on it, but I don't actually know my con- like I don't know what it means. I don't know the argument that I make. And the only way I know is from talking to people and so or thinking about it and reading stuff. So the scripts will be like I'll be like okay, I know where like the first two parts are going. I think I have a structure, but like we're going to have to land this plane. I'm I'm not sure. Like we're going to get there. It's so interesting to hear you say that because you know, I listened to all of these episodes over the last couple of days, and they are. They're, the topics are so disparate. So I listened to, like, 
the selling out episode about Franzen and Oprah. I listened to that sideways story about like what was the real impact of that movie on the wine industry. The hydration one. I love it just it's like why did we become obsessed with being hydrated all the time? Why does every child walk around with a water bottle? And then this one about your mom's friend who was this wonderful artist who never quite made it. Hugely disparate topics. But the thing that felt so consistent to me was the confidence with which you stuck the landing. Thank you. Like, I honestly think that's like, I spent like 10 years being like, I'm going to make a conclusion about like a piece of television. And it's like, it's the same thing. It's like, I have to write you a critical essay at the end of this piece. And I know how to do that. Like, I've had a lot, a lot of practice. And I don't stress out about that part. And I know from working with other people that that can be hard. It's hard to say something at the end. And I'm like, I'll figure it out. And I do. (laughs) And that's just from practice. Like, that's just because I did a ton at a ton. What part about making the show is hard? Oh, my God. Everything. What do you mean it's hard? Like, the thing, I think the reason the show is so, like, alive to me and so... Like, I feel so in it still, even though we've been doing it, like, for five years, is because every single time I'm like, I have to do this from scratch. Like, do you know what I mean? It really, like, it isn't that formulaic. Like, it, I think it is, you know, like, there's, a, but it, it I, there's not, like, I don't, I don't know, like, this happened, like, there's, we have a cold open, so okay, I can write the cold open, it's super fun to write it. But, like, it doesn't, it's not like I know what it's supposed to be, and it's also not, like, like, I'm never talking to people and I'd be like, I need this here. Like, like it's just, I, I just don't, like, I have to go write it. And um, that's really hard. Like, the hard part is still the writing. Like, the thing that's so cool about making a podcast is, like, it hurts, the writing hurts, and then you get to, like, you put it on blocks, you know? Like, then you, like, get an audio cut. And it, it feels like when... It's like when you send a written piece to like an editor and they give it back to you and you're like, oh, my God, I have all this work to do. Thank you so much. But like I have I can see. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like I'll do this. It's like just getting in an audio is like that. You're like, oh, my God, all this shit is wrong and I can fix it right now. Like I I hear it immediately. So like as soon as you get it there, then even when it's hard, you're like, well, at least I have a draft. Like I'm going. And that's that, that part I find really fun. How do you think differently about the writing in a podcast versus the writing you're doing for Slate or whatever? Um, I think, I think they're similar and different. Like, I I think writing still, like, writing is hard. Um, writing is fun. Writing is the whole thing, you know? Like, the show is really written. Um, I think that you can get away with, like, a lot of, like, hacky shit you can't get away with in real pieces. (laughs) Like, and, and actually, more than that, like, you almost need them. Like, obviously, you don't want to be, like, the thing you need to know about hydration is or like or like in order to understand that you got to understand that like we can do a little better in in like our language in a podcast but actually like you need to do some version of that like it actually like not always but there there's a reason people do that so like you can make your signposts more elegant but like hmm. there is this sort of hand holding that happens that i think like is sort of necessary so like on the one hand like i kind of hate that i'm like this is so hacky Uh, but then on the other hand you're like oh my god it's so fun i didn't have to like write an elegant transition i could just be like so the thing you need to know is i might try let's go back (laughs) yeah exactly before we can do this we've got to do that or whatever (laughs) uh and and you know and like honestly even just 
writing in the shitty version and then getting to go back and make it better. But just like literally knowing you just need a scent, like that is very freeing. Obviously, like that's also what's really like when you do those really nicely, like that's what's beautiful and fun about a written piece. Um, but yeah, so that I I like I really like reporting. I love reporting. I and I like getting to put it. It feels like it's 3D. Like it just feels like it's a craft kind of like in a more extreme way than writing, which is also a craft, uh, but it feels different to me. It's like sculpture versus painting or something. Was it hard to find your actual voice? So no. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I don't know why, but also this thing, like, do you remember you have to like do in school, like um, presentations for like your class about whatever you know like some history you're like you were assigned to like tell them about Constantinople you know whatever and you have to do like five minutes about it and I was always good at that because I was always like I'll say this like slightly funny thing and I know that everyone will laugh because like this isn't a stand-up comedy show it's like a classroom and everyone's like so like everyone wants to be on your side in that situation and I feel like like I, I feel like I always wrote how kind of how I talk and so actually writing how I talk was easy or like I'm not saying if you listen to the early episodes like I've gotten much better on mic and I have a much all those things but I had some I for some reason I like did have some like innate sense of that stuff um and I don't know why can you articulate what getting better on mic sounds like to you yes it's like um being comfortable like knowing what your voice can do like throwing things away like just like using your voice to get people close, to make people laugh, to like tell them they should be paying attention, to tell them you're serious. Like just a a sort of just exactly what it is. You know, it's like um, it's like acting. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's you know, it's always this this at least I find it to be this strange thing where it's like um, today the character of Willa will be played by Willa. It's like (laughs) part of what getting better means is like being more yourself. You know, the thing is, though, that, like, I don't sound like myself on mic. Um, like, everyone who really knows me is, like, your voice intonations on mic are really weird. Like, you don't talk like yourself. And it's true. Like, if I'm reading a script, I think it sounds natural to people who don't know me or pretty natural. But it's not how I talk like I'm talking to you. Um, and I can't make I can't make those align. Like, I don't. I don't know how I don't I would have to like really listen to how I really talk and try to figure it out. So it's not like so it is a character, you know. How do you think of yourself as a character on the show? Because one of the things that I found listening back to a bunch of episodes sort of back to back to back is that often in those endings in particular. You come in. Yeah. And part of the way that you stick the landing, part of the way that you make meaning of whatever the thing is, is to articulate at least why you were interested in it. So I would just like straight up, honestly, like I haven't thought about this at all. And I actually think probably it's productive. Not like, I think it's probably helpful that I haven't like thought about this too much. Cause <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about it some more. No, no, I'm, I, I'm happy. To, like, I'm, I'm happy to think about it. Um, but like, I don't, this is like first thought, worst thought, best thought. I don't know. Like it's not, um, yeah, I have been, I know that I like in other kinds of writing, I I'm sort of like it's funny because we started with this piece where you were like you wrote about how why you became a TV critic but I am not I don't I keep I often have kept myself out of like I, if 
like reported pieces. I don't want a lot of I in them. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm conscious of it. Um, and I think when I, as a critic, I learned that there's a way to deploy yourself um, that can be very cheap, but very powerful. It's like a cheat. Do you know what I mean? Like you can just mm-hmm. use yourself to stand in. Um, and sometimes it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a trick, you know, but like, um, and sometimes it's, it's a good trick and sometimes it's just a lazy trick, but you can do it. So I think I got a little more comfortable doing that and knowing those moments. I'm sure that that's informing stuff about the show, but like, I actually, I think I'm a, like, I'm actually kind of like a guarded person. I think I'm like this, I think I'm like a, a, a perfect, like I'm a person where like, I'm not at all a guarded person, obviously, like we're having this conversation. I seem like myself and open, but like, there's like, I'm not, I don't want to overshare about my like actual, like what I do with my life, you know, like, like my like private life. Not that there's, I just like, that's not, I don't like, I'm just not been that interested in it. And so I think in the show, it's like all just about ideas. It feels like a safe place to be like, I think this. Um, I mean, the thing about the show is we don't kill a lot and we are small staff. So we have to like, we basically have to make them work. And like, one of the things about if you don't do the thing we're doing, then the story has to have a end, right? Like you need a three act. Like that's the killer of so many narrative stories. It's like it's like the killer of so many jokes. It's the killer of stories you tell your friends. You know, like what's the end? Like you have like the climax, and then it's like what's the last beat? Like. This American Life, like, they always have an incredible, gorgeous, hilarious, perfect last beat, which is certainly not why they kill so many things, but I'm sure contributes to it. Do you know what I mean? And our last beat is me thinking about it. Well, do you um, do you want to make meaning of this conversation? Can you land the plane here? What, no, what? definitely not. That's your job. I'm just a passenger. <laughs> do you think you're going to do this for a long time? do this podcast for a long time is podcasting going to be the forever thing i don't know i don't know i could see it going a lot of different ways you might just start sort of hating it <laughs> no <laughs> no i mean i think it's it's not like i think it's different it's like it's not writing that i hate right um and making a podcast like this i can look at so many different things you know it just feels like i can look at water i can look at you know whatever like i can look at bustles <laughs> I can look and at you, and you don't necessarily need to look at it for 10 straight hours on your couch yeah exactly I get to talk to a ton of people um and so that way like it does feel just so much more like it's just the scope is so much bigger so in that way like like yeah I could do it for a long time it feels different that way it's so who knows what's gonna happen um are you gonna do this forever Willa thanks so much for doing this But really, thank you for doing this. It was so much fun. Oh, thank to talk you so much you. for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Long Form. I'm Max Linsky. My co hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Seth Kelly edited this episode. Thanks to him. Thanks to Susan Peterson, who handled the show notes. Thanks to everyone at Vox, with whom we make this show. And thanks so much to Willa Paskin. Her podcast is called Dakota Ring. The new season is out April 12th. In the meantime, go back, listen to all of these episodes, particularly The Sign Painter. We'll see you next week. 
you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.